Open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. We started a message series last week entitled The Good Fight. And as a congregation, we're reading through these two little letters that Paul wrote to young Timothy. First and Second Timothy. Uh, we're reading sort of through the books on our own, but then on Sunday mornings, I'm taking one big theme that you'll encounter in both books, and I'm just sort of uh, going a little bit deeper into that. So, First Timothy, chapter one, verse three is where we, where we will begin. Did y'all check out David Mark's marriage today, y'all. His wife dressed him. Um, they've been married. How, how long have y'all been married? 18 years. But when you marry a boy from Portland, it takes a while to, you know. He was from, yeah, Hendersonville. Yeah, he's got on skinny pants today. And uh, you look, you look, walking here like Tom Brady, man, you look awesome. Oh, way to go, David. Yeah, way to go. Give your kids something to be proud of. Uh, way to go, man. First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, I love our church so much. I really do, man. I, I, love, uh, I love just everything about you guys. I love laughing with you and making fun of David Marksberry. Uh, and the Logan County people, uh, who, who, by the way, Logan County people, as if y'all didn't have enough to struggle with, uh, y'all start school this week. Isn't that crazy, right? Am I right? Logan County goes to school this week. What is it you people don't know about summer? Um, yeah, wow. God bless you guys. Logan County kids going back in. So, uh, wow. And that's Y'all remember how long winter lasted, like forever? Remember how long I, remember I ended up paying money because I said I wouldn't complain about being cold, but then it stayed cold so long, uh, I started uh, losing money. Um, But uh, summer goes by so quickly. Um, Let's talk about church this morning. I know some of you have been in church your whole life. Uh, I have. I was born on a Sunday night. Literally, my mom went in labor while church was going on. And so they just all kept church going. They just moved it to the hospital, and uh, true story. And uh, so I was born, you know, basically in the middle of a Sunday night service, and I've, I've been here ever since. Um, if you've been in church long, unfortunately, you probably can tell some stories about uh, church arguments, church fights, and, and, and those are just never pleasant. Uh, how many of you have just lived through some just awful church, you know, splits, church fights, church... All kinds of stuff. It's it's just crazy. If you've never experienced that, then God God bless you. I I wish that uh, sometimes it weren't so difficult just to love each other. Um, Recently, Tom Rayner in his blog listed uh, the top 25 insane church fights. And these are all true stories, and they all came from his friends and followers. Here's just a sampling. Uh, There was a church that blew up in an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Like, they fought about that. Another church fought over whether or not to use their, their, their side lawn for a playground for children or for a cemetery. For, for dead people, they, they fought about that. One church split over whether or not they were going to have dividers in the stalls in the women's restroom. Like they split. I guess all the modest women went to like a church with stalls. I, 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 I don't know. Uh, but the church fought over that. Isn't that just crazy? One church went to pieces because somebody put crayon grape juice in the communion cups instead of Welch's. You know, like Jesus would have used Welch's, you know, but, but, but crayon grape is like, you know, not, not real communion worthy. Another church split over, this is, you know, welcome to the world, you guys, over gluten-free communion bread. Like whether you could have gluten-free. Is there gluten? Those little bitty 
white things. I don't even think there's bread in that bread. Is there gluten in that? I mean, it's kind of like chewing on a Kleenex, uh, no matter what you, you do. Um, one church had a two-month come apart over buying a, a weed eater. People left one church because they were fighting over green beans Green beans, another church split because they tried to switch from Folgers coffee to like one of those Starbucks, like really strong blends. And people left the church over that, y'all. I mean, like, you know, Folgers, you know, like Jesus and the disciples drink, I, I guess. Uh, one church split over bringing deviled eggs to the potluck. This is all true, y'all. Now, Y'all know, I know that a lot of that generation of, of church ladies are gone, but I know their trick. Y'all know this, right? When you bring them to church, you just call them dressed eggs. Yeah, they're dressed eggs at, at church. Now, that was a potluck controversy. Another church had a complete church split because they didn't, half the people didn't want to call it a potluck because they said we're Christians and we don't believe in luck, you know. So they, they, they split the church right down the middle over that. Another church, last but not least, uh, a church split because somebody ordered black T-shirts and half the people said black is the devil's color. Isn't that crazy? You know, I don't think the devil really cares what T-shirts they wore, but I know he was delighted to see them fight over such stupidity. You know, I mean, the devil wins when Christians are just that lame and, 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 and silly. Uh, so, so bottom line, uh, when it comes to church conflict, it's, it's often silly. Uh, I, I would say it's, it's almost always silly. If you have to tell somebody outside your church what you're fighting over, they're just going to say, what? I mean, it's just so insane. Church conflict is often silly. It's always painful. Even if it's silly, it's painful. But sometimes it's unavoidable. And I would even go so far as to say, sometimes it's necessary. And that brings us to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Remember that Timothy is the young pastor, uh, the young man that Paul would have met when he was on his first mission trip in a city called uh, Lystra. Timothy now is, uh, later on in Paul's ministry in life, Timothy is one of his uh, most dependable partners in ministry. When Timothy and Paul were passing through Ephesus, they found a church in conflict and controversy. It was a church that was blowing up, a church that was about to split. Now, Paul spent years at Ephesus trying to groom and plant this church, but already, you know, th th these people are about to tear it all down. So Paul leaves Timothy there. Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus to uh, referee this church fight, to try to put the lid back on a church that's blowing up. Understand? And so the letter of 1 Timothy especially is the letter that Paul writes back to give this poor young pastor some pointers in how to possibly bring this church back into unity. And, and, and this is what brings us to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. You'll never believe what they're fighting over. You ready? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Paul speaking, he says, when I left for Macedonia, I urged you, who's you? Who are we talking to? Timothy, yeah. When I left for Macedonia, I urged you, Timothy, to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. 
The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed the whole point. They have turned away from these things. What things? What things? Pure heart, clear conscience, genuine faith that comes from love. All right, stay with me. They've missed the whole point. They've turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. We know that the law is good when used correctly, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It's for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother, commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality, or slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts this wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news and trust to me by our blessed God. We'll stop there. The wholesome teaching, the good news that's been entrusted. It's important. So Paul wants to make it clear that, that Timothy's pastoral priority, pastoral priority is to in so many ways oversee this, this fight, this, this, this church fight. Um, as I say, church conflict is often silly, always painful, sometimes unavoidable. This one's unavoidable. This is simply a, a controversy, a fight that, that, that must happen because the most important thing in the world is at stake. And what is that? It's the, it's the gospel. This is an argument over, over doctrine. Now, Paul, as he describes the kind of fights that, that they're having, the kind of arguments, Paul will go into that language of it's meaningless, it's, it's, it's crazy, and it's just insane. These people are just talking, and they don't know what they're talking about, and they've left the truth. Uh, so the fact that, that what they're saying is nonsense or that it's false, it doesn't change the fact that it's still dangerous. It's, it, it, it's dangerous. For, for this simple reason, and, and let's be clear on this, the church is essentially a gospel community. Now, the gospel may be just sort of a word that, that you know, like gospel singing or whatever. You may not really understand what the word means. But, but in truth, the word gospel means good news, good news. And we're talking about a, a message. It, it, it's, it's a message. There, there's a particular message that is the very essence of what we are as a church. The church is essentially a gospel community. So we are people who are completely committed to a message the, 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 the gospel truth. We are committed to this. It is not negotiable. Lots of things are. The gospel is not. Now, we live in a day and age where people just sort of uh, don't even argue about truth anymore because there's sort of this uh, liberty, this license now for you just to have your truth. And listen to people talk on, on news reports, on talk shows, everywhere in our culture, people will use that kind of language. They'll say, well, I think it's wonderful that you found the courage to speak your truth. And they'll put that word, your truth, as if you can have your truth and I can have my truth and, and it can be different, but hey, it's all truth. And, and to me, that just kind of sounds like nonsense. Now, you can have an opinion and I can have an opinion and opinions can be different. 
But truth is truth. And either it's true or it's false. You, you, you understand? So when it comes to the gospel, this is truth. And it's something that we can't just simply say, well, this is just one of the things that we'll disagree on. There are lots of things we can disagree on, but we have to get the gospel right. We are committed to the gospel, to the message of Jesus Christ. And this is what it boils down to. The gospel is about Jesus. In the book of 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about what he preached, when he talks about the gospel that he preached, Paul says very simply, when I was with you, the only thing I, I claimed to know anything about was Jesus. I only knew Jesus. I preached Jesus and him crucified. It's just Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, there is a Bible full of good teaching here, and it's all God's word. I'm not taking anything away from that. There's a whole lot in, in, in God's word, and there are a lot of different doctrines and a lot of different stories and a lot of different characters and a lot of different principles, and, and all of it is God's word. I, I'm just telling you, though, it raises a lot of subjects, a lot of things that, that we may not always agree on. There are different interpretations of certain things, and, and, and maybe those are things that we can continue to talk about up until Jesus comes. But, but the Jesus part we have to get right. The Jesus part we have to agree on. Now, there may be different opinions at this point about creation and evolution and how those things fit together with God's word in Genesis. I'm all about that conversation, but you and I can disagree a little bit on that, you understand? Because that's not what leads to salvation. Jesus is what leads to salvation. We have to get the Jesus part right. Now, there are people who will go into Scripture and sort of tease out very small things, very small points, and this seems to be what Paul's opponents were doing. Now, the false teachers in Ephesus, the ones that Timothy is trying to bring back to the truth, they're not non-believers. They would say that they're Christians. They're probably members of the church. But the problem is they have not stayed with the gospel. They have begun to drift from the truth, and, and, and it looks like they're just trying to add other stuff to it. That's why Paul says, don't let them waste their time. Verse 4, don't let them waste their time in endless discussions. You ever been in one of those church things where you got people just all up in something that, that apparently they're the only ones who care about? And they just go on and on and on, and they come back the next Wednesday, and they start all over. I mean, they'll, I mean, they just go on and on and on about this. And Paul just says, don't let them. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. Paul's word, there's genealogies. It's almost like these people would go back in the Bible to those genealogies with all those names, and they'd pull out a name that nobody ever heard of, and then they'd make a big deal about that person. You know, make like a whole, a whole thing, a whole teaching about this person that the Bible doesn't say five words about, but all of a sudden they know enough to write a book. You know, and this is just Paul saying, Timothy, you've got to bring them back to the gospel because the gospel is essential. There are lots and lots of things that, that people argue and, and disagree on. And, and, and I'm sure that, honestly, a lot of it we could settle if we just come back to God's word. But, but of all the things that we must agree on, the, the gospel, we have to agree on the Jesus part. Paul says, when I was with you, I, I knew only Jesus and him crucified. I mean, it's the message of Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, th that part. We have to get that right, that he was sent uh, from, from God, from, from the eternal God, sent out of God's heart full of love for the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. We have to get that part right. 
That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We have to get that part right. That, that Jesus was born, that he lived a sinless life, that, that, he, that he died on, on the cross. He died for our sins. We have to get that part right. That he was buried, but he didn't stay in the ground. He came back to life. He was raised. He lives again. And, and, and he will one day raise all of us who have faith in him. He will raise us so that we also might live in eternity with him. And, and one day he will come back and judge the world. I mean, we have to get the Jesus part right. We have to get the Jesus part right. The church is essentially a gospel community. So if we don't know what we believe or if we don't stand for what we believe or if in any way we compromise what we believe, if we lose the message, then understand, we don't have the true gospel anymore. And if we lose the gospel, then we're not really a church anymore. I mean, I don't know what we are. The church is essentially a gospel community. We do lots and lots of good things, but if we don't have the gospel, we're not anything worth doing. I mean, honestly, it's not worth it just so our senior adults can eat out, you know, drive around looking for all leaves. It's not worth it just to send our kids to camp. It's the gospel. It's all about the gospel. So Paul wants Timothy to put the lid back on it, to bring people back to the gospel, to, to stop those who are teaching false, strange things, bring everybody back to unity in the gospel. So it's very important that, that one be able to distinguish the, the, the true gospel from, from false teaching. And there's only one way to get it right, but a million trillion ways to get it wrong. You understand? And so it's important to be able to distinguish the, the gospel of Jesus. So, so two things according to Paul. First, sound doctrine is distinguished by, say the word, content. It has content. It really does matter what you believe. I, I know some people say, you know, you believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. I, I, think, I think all roads lead to the same place. Well, you haven't driven around much. You know, if you think that all the roads lead to the same place, you haven't driven around very much. Well, well, Pastor Tim, I, I don't understand why you Christians think you're the only ones with the truth because don't all the world religions basically teach the same thing? No. I mean, no. And if you say that, that only tells me that you don't know anything about world religions. You know anything about world religions. I mean, Buddhism is basically an atheistic religion. Basically, I mean, there is no God in Buddhism, and you know that, right? I mean, so you can't now say that Buddhism and Christianity are, are the same. They're not the same at all. I don't see the world the same at all. Man, I have a Hindu friend. I was trying to you know, talk about her religion and my religion. I mean, like, whoa. You know, it's not even the same. It's not the same at all. My friend believes in reincarnation, which means for her, it's just this cycle of life and death and, and rebirth that just goes round and round and round and round for all eternity. There's really no beginning or no end to it. You know, I mean, that's nothing. That, that's nothing like the Christian faith. So, so it's, it's just not even genuine to say that they all teach the same thing. They don't teach the same thing at all. And so truly, not everything can be true. Not everything can be right. Not every religion can be true. You know, there, there's content here. That there, there are some hard edges to this. Now, we don't get to elevate all of our opinions you know, to the level of gospel truth. We have to be very, very humble in what we say and what we speak. But when we're talking about Jesus, understand, this is what distinguishes sound doctrine. It's the message of Jesus. Are y'all with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Sound doctrine is distinguished by content, and it matters what you believe. It matters what we teach. Don't think for a moment that it doesn't matter whether or not you believe all this. It matters. It matters for this reason. What you believe determines how you relate to Jesus. Everything comes down to Jesus. So if you're trying to discern whether or not a religious group is on the side of truth or not, just ask yourself, what do they say about Jesus? Remember, Paul says, when I was with you, I was just all about Jesus. So just go back to Jesus. What do they say about Jesus? What you believe determines how you relate to Jesus. How you relate to Jesus determines how you live, how your life turns out, and where you spend eternity. How you relate to Jesus determines how you live, the way your life turns out, and then where you go after you die. In other words, man, everything is at stake here. Now understand, I haven't even asked you to make a decision about creation or evolution. You know, because honestly, that's not what's going to send you to heaven or hell. You know, I haven't asked you to make a decision about homosexuality. We could have that discussion, but honestly, it really has a whole lot more to do with your relationship to Jesus. That is what matters here. What you believe determines how you relate to Jesus. Everything comes back to Jesus. We are a gospel-centered community, as was the church in Ephesus. The false teachers, man, they were confident, and they had the Bible, and they were teaching, but Paul says they're dragging people away from the truth. You have to stop them. Um, But it's not just content. Content's very, very important, but understand this as well, because this is where Paul comes down so strongly. Sound doctrine is distinguished by, say the word, character. Now, this is what we've always thought less about in the church, and this is exactly why the world doesn't often pay attention to our message. Because we think if we just get the Jesus part right in our words, that that's all that matters. Like if we just deliver the gospel to them, that we've done our parts. But, but come back to Paul. Notice what he says. The purpose of my instruction, verse 5, the purpose of my instruction is so that all believers could have a Ph.D. in Bible. So he says, no, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with incredible knowledge so that they could smash the family and Bible trivia at Thanksgiving. No, no. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with love. Love. See, we have often thought that we could somehow separate the the truth of Jesus from the love of Jesus. And so we've been all about truth. I mean, if you don't think we're all about truth, you just come over here and tell me I don't know the truth, and I will will clobber you with truth. I mean, that's just how a lot of church people, church pastors, teachers have been. I mean, we're we're full of zeal for for the gospel message, but we treat people like the devil. I mean, and the world sees that. The world recognizes that contradiction. And honestly, that's why, for the most part, they don't believe our message. They, they don't see the character that backs up the content of our message. And for that reason, we just look ridiculous. The church of Jesus Christ in the United States in our day is not known for love. If you ask outsiders what we're known for, we're just known for hate. They say that we just hate homosexuals, and that's all they know about us. It's all they know. Now, somehow, we're doing it wrong, 
If we're more known for all the things we're against than the things we're for, like Jesus and loving people. Understand? I mean, Paul says, the purpose of my instruction, the purpose of my teaching, this all comes back to seeing that believers will be filled with love. So really, really simply, it won't be the truth of Jesus that flows from your mouth if it's not the love of Jesus that flows from your heart. It can't be. You say, well, Pastor Tim, you don't understand. I'm, uh, you may be that you know, man-be-pamby kind of preacher that is afraid to tell people the truth. No, I can tell people the truth. I just don't feel like I have to be a jerk. I mean, you know, so many Christians are just jerks. I mean, they, they've got their doctrine straight as a narrow, but they're jerks. You know, they don't love people. They don't even love each other. You know, they're up in the church fighting over green beans. Uh, they, they can't love this fundamental lack of love, and it only betrays the fact that there's a fundamental lack of Jesus. Because when Jesus takes over your heart, he doesn't just fill your head with knowledge, he fills your heart with love. So when Paul's talking to Timothy about the false teachers, notice how much of what he says is, is about their character. Their, their, their character. I mean, they want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about. They've turned people away from the love of Jesus. They've turned them into something else. It's, it's uh, unbelievable how... I, I, I guess I have to be really honest myself. I mean, I, uh, I, I'm a reader. If you walk in my office, I got shelves full of books. I have a PhD in theology. Um, I love learning and I love studying. And, and, and Paul says in another place, knowledge puffs up. You know, so sometimes those of us who, who love to know things, we, that puffs us up, you know? And so it, it, it comes down to not just that I, I've learned a lot because I've studied, I know more than you, you know? And that becomes kind of delicious, that feeling of, I know stuff y'all don't know, you know? Have you ever met that person, you know? They, they get really puffed up by their knowledge, and that, that, that can lead to a kind of arrogance. It, 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 and honestly, that superiority, that pride that comes with feeling like you've studied and you've learned something nobody else knows, um, it's, it's, it's one of the wonderful ways that the devil will just lead you away from the truth of the gospel. Because if you lose the love of the gospel, you've lost the truth. Turn over with me now to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, again, same, same issue. It's sound doctrine. This is what Paul's talking about. But notice the difference in tone. First Timothy, you almost get the idea, what I just read, you almost get the idea that, that Paul, Paul would have Timothy read that out loud to everybody. It, it sounds like Paul speaking to the church addressed to Timothy and, and that this will be the kind of thing that Timothy will take back in his teaching. But Second Timothy's different now. It's, it, it's later in, in Paul's life. Paul's in prison. Paul is probably very near death. It's perhaps one of the last letters he's ever written. He writes it to Timothy. Part of the message is personal. I want you to come to me, he says. Come as soon as you can. Come, come and be with me. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul's still talking about Timothy's role in, in correcting these false teachers. But notice how personal it is here. It, it, it's beautiful. I, I, love, I love this. Start in verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. 
Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. Notice how, once more, he draws a straight line between uh, teaching truth and behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer. As in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus, they have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Let's back up, quickly do this with me. Verse 15 it's one of the first verses I probably memorized uh, as, as a kid from the King James Bible. So it said, uh, study, study to show thyself approved, a workman who needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Is that right? Um, study to show yourself approved, uh, work hard so that you can present yourself to God. Uh, um, it, it's, it's a great life verse for, for all of us. Now, Paul is speaking specifically to a young pastor, to young Timothy. And it has a lot of <clears throat> wisdom and weight for his situation, but there's wisdom and weight for your situation too. So, so, so let's talk about it. Uh, I basically say that in, in this verse, you can come out with three questions that would help you evaluate your, your own life. And the first one is simply this. And think about your own life. Uh, is the Lord well-pleased? Is the Lord well-pleased? Notice what he says. Uh, Work hard, study, <clears throat> to present yourself to God and receive his approval. Uh, let's go to Timothy first. Uh, he's a young pastor in the middle of a church that's blowing up. Uh, if you've ever been in a church argument, a church fight, church split, you probably know what happens. It's kind of a very predictable cycle. The pastor, young Timothy, is going to stick his nose into this, and what's going to happen? They're going to tear his nose off. Uh, he, he's going he's gonna to step into these, these church people fighting it, and, and they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna chew him up and spit him out. If you've ever been in a church fight, if you've ever been, just known these churches that, that have no capacity to love one another, um, what they do is they fight over anything, green beans, the playground. I was literally in a church where we fought months over a basketball goal. I wanted to jump out a window every time. A basketball, a, a basketball. I mean, people are dying to go into hell, but, but we're fighting about a basketball goal, people. And the fact is we all agreed on having it. Like everybody wanted one. We just couldn't agree on where it would go, you know, make, make my head want to explode. So church people just, you know, they just wake up early and, and, and try to find something new to argue about. It's that sort of thing. But what happens is eventually the whole church is unified under one conclusion. Like it dawns on them that the one thing that brings them all back together is that it's all the preacher's fault. Right? So then they get rid of him. Like their thinking is this church will be a whole lot better off if he goes. So they fire the pastor. This is why the typical Southern Baptist pastor now, that's our denomination, typical Southern Baptist, his ministry lasts in one church a year and a half. Typically they stay a year and a half because that's how long for the church to fight over dividers in the ladies' room or whatever. So it's the preacher's fault. They kick him out. They bring in another pastor, and it's just, you know, you know rinse, wash, and repeat. You know, they're just going to do it again and again and again because the problem is not the, the pastor, 
Understand? It's, it's not the pastor. And it wouldn't matter who the pastor is, this church has fundamentally forgotten the gospel. So Paul gives very, very important words to Timothy here. Basically, work hard to present yourself to God and receive his approval. In other words, it's, it's a very brilliant wisdom here. You're living your life to please God. You're not living your life to please people. Because surely you understand this by now, you're never going to please people. If Timothy feels like his job in this church is to, is to get everybody you know, to love him and, and, and see him as, as the smart guy who can solve all the problems, Timothy's going to be in a world of hurt. I mean, no matter what he does, half this congregation is going to be mad. You, you see that? So if Timothy's idea is that he's got to come in here and please these people, he's, he's going to be in trouble. And if in your own life you feel like your responsibility is to make people happy, you're in for a world of hurt. Now, maybe you'll find one person, like a favorite person, and you're just going to live to make her happy, but good luck with that. I mean, good luck with completely satisfying even one person. But the fact is you've got a lot of people in your life, and they all want you to make them happy. And if you think that's your goal, if you think that you live to please people, and if when it comes to what you believe... You think that you somehow have to shape what you believe or how you stand up for what you believe or how you don't stand up. If you let people influence you in that way, you are never, ever going to succeed in life or anything else. You exist. You were, you were created by a God who alone knows the purpose for your life. And he and he alone is the one whose approval you need. He's the only one who can judge you. And the only one who can give his approval in such a way where you feel like you've been accepted and loved and you feel like you've got a chance. You understand, you're striving to please the Lord in everything. So that first question is, just, is, is the Lord pleased? I mean, this life that you're living, it's nice if you can keep your husband happy. It's nice if you can keep your kids happy. It's nice if you can keep everybody happy, but forget it, is, is the Lord pleased with you? you? You work for him, you serve him. Is he pleased? Second, um, is the work well done? Paul says, Timothy, work hard so that you can uh, win the approval of God and in such a way where in the end you won't be ashamed of your work, a, a worker that needs not to be ashamed. So the idea becomes that the work of your life, fulfilling the purpose of your life, are you doing it well? Not talking about perfection, but is it well done? The work that you do, I mean, honestly, since everything you do is for the Lord, then all the work you do is for the Lord, right? So is, is it well done? In other words, is, is it the kind of thing where if you stood before God, you'd be embarrassed of your life, embarrassed of the work you've done for him? Thinking about myself, I, I am sometimes embarrassed by my work, embarrassed by what I do, typically uh, if in the end of what I've done, I, I, I'm, I'm ashamed of it, it's probably, for me, it's usually because I, I aim too low. You know what I mean? I, I just sort of shoot for mediocrity, you know? And in the end, there's always a little something embarrassing about that. It's like high school French class when our teacher, uh, Ms. Alexander, uh, would always say, okay, next Friday is going to be French food day. Do they still do that, by the way? I just have French food day. You just have French class. You don't even do French anymore. 
Oh, wow, sad. Um, French class, high school, Warren Central a thousand years ago. Uh, French food day. Now, I'm sure that the teacher's aim was that we would go out and research like French recipes and like come in with some sort of like souffle, you know, or something really impressive and fancy and, and, and French. But y'all, I mean, y'all, you have to know me. You have to know me now. But in high school, I mean, I was even more like me now than I was then. I don't know. Um, <laughs> So what do you do? It's Friday. It's French food day. It's Friday morning. You're about to, you know, you got to be at school. You know, I didn't think about this. So what do you, what do you do? What would you do? French food day. What do you do? Yeah, see, yeah, yeah. French fries is everybody's go-to because, you know, la Francaise, you know, French fry, that's as French as it comes, right? Yeah, I'm not even that good, y'all. Y'all know what I took to French food day? Pineapple. Pineapple. And my teacher said, What is this? It's pineapple. I said, Miss Alexander, I, I am certain that La Francais, they love La Pineapple. You know, I mean, I am sure that they eat pineapple. I mean, so she couldn't really not give me credit for the day, you know? But I was in French class with Gretchen Cherry back in the day. Y'all, Gretchen Cherry like made a souffle. You know? So everybody's over there eating her souffle, you know, and, and there sits my pineapple. Oh. La pineapple, you know. <laughs> I, I got credit, but uh, can't be proud. Of, can't, be, can't be proud of that. Nobody's asking me for my French pineapple, you know, recipe. Um, I, I aim too low, you know. Just kind of make it. The, the, the least I can get by with. And, and in the end, I, that's when I'm embarrassed, you know. Because I think God um, deserves more. He's worthy of more. And he, and he made me for more, honestly. Uh, I'm embarrassed of my work when I just won't put in a little bit of extra that it would take to do a good job, like my yard right now. Uh, I mow it. But the thing is, my mower blades really have needed sharpening for probably two years. So now my lawnmower isn't really cutting grass, it just sort of beats it down, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I can say, hey, I mowed my grass, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's lower. Um, but it doesn't look, you know, I wouldn't want you all to see it. Um, you know, it wouldn't take much to, you know, raise the deck and sharpen those blades and do a good job, but, but you know, it, even though it wouldn't take that much more, I, I haven't put that much more into it. You're working for the Lord. You're working to please him. But for a lot of us, I mean, the, the way we serve him is really not anything to be proud of. And uh, we, we satisfy ourselves with mediocrity, with like the least we can do. And we sort of expect that God will be satisfied with that too. In the end, whether or not it gets us by... Um, it's embarrassing, shameful. He's, uh, he's worth more. Uh, the last thing I would say, and, and, and I'll be done, is the word well used, you know. Uh, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly divides, is the word there, correctly explains, correctly handles the word of truth. We're back to the word of God, back, back to the truth. 
And this isn't just some sort of message to a, to a preacher. Timothy is a preacher, a pastor. And obviously for him, it's very important that he preaches the word of God. And this is why Paul has left him there. He's entrusted with the message of Jesus and to preach God's word. And again, I'll, I'll do myself here first. I mean, as, as a pastor, it's very important. And I'm not always, I'm not, I mean, God help me, I'm not always good at it. But, but every word that comes out of my mouth, you should be able to draw a straight line back to something in God's word. Because if I say something that isn't in God's word, that's just, that's, that's me preaching my opinions. And, and who wants to come and sit through that? You don't. But if I'm rightly handling God's word, if, if what I'm doing, you can draw a straight line back to God's word, then, then that's where... That's where my teaching has authority and, and integrity. And, and this is what you want in your life too. What I'm saying is the way you live your life. It's, it's not just knowing a bunch of Bible verses. It, it's that a person should be able to look at your life and draw a straight line you know, from what they see in you, your behavior, your attitude, your mouth, uh, the way you handle your money, the way you discipline your kids. I mean, all of that should be able to draw a straight line back to God's word. I mean, because you're a believer, right? And you also are a person who's committed to this message of Jesus. And so you should be living that out. And so God's word should be something that, that, that you live, that, that, that you enflesh, you embody every single day, everywhere you go. It's, I, I know it's a book, and you think, you know, Pastor Tim, the world's full of books. The world is full of books, but this one's different. If This one's different. If you say it's no different, I've read it. I've read War and Peace, and I've read The Color Purple, and I've read the Holy Bible, and they're all the same. No, no. You haven't read the Bible yet, if that's what you say. You haven't read it yet. The, the Bible doesn't say a lot about itself, but when it does describe itself, and the Bible speaks about Scripture itself, it always uses living words. Like when I hear people describe the Bible, say, yeah, I tried to read the Bible. It was boring. I fell asleep. You know, I, I'm not a very good reader, I mean, on and on. I'm telling you, if you read the Bible and it was dull and boring, you were reading it wrong. The, the Bible is living and active. The Word of God is living and active, it says. And it cuts like a two-edged sword. In other words, the Word of God will split your heart wide open. I mean, it will lay you open. You can, you can put on a show for people. And sometimes you can pretend like you're something you're not, but when you stand before the Word of God, it is going to be a mirror, and you're about to see your true face, and it will split your heart wide open. The Bible is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, the Word says, which means the Bible is a light, and it burns, and it shines, and it helps me know the path to take for my life. You see, and let's be honest, this is probably where some of you got hung up. You know, those of you who say, Pastor Tim, I tried to read the Bible. I just couldn't understand any of it. I just couldn't understand it. I just got discouraged and quit. I, it, I couldn't understand it. It didn't make any sense to me. Well, can I just be really kind of with you? Um, you understand, you know, like thou shalt not lie, right? You get that? Okay, go work on that. 
You know, come and read that and then go work on that. See, that's how you read the Bible. It doesn't make sense just to try to read it and then never, ever change the way you live your life. It is a light, uh, a lamp unto your feet and a light for your path. In other words, you read the Bible and then that tells you what road to walk in your life. It, it changes the way you make decisions. It changes who you date. It, it changes the, the, the way you are in your marriage. It changes the kind of parent that you are. It changes the way you talk on the golf course. I mean, it changes everything. It's living and active. It'll cut your heart wide open. And that's probably why a lot of people avoid it. They don't want truth like that. They don't want truth that slices their heart wide open and exposes everything false in them. I mean, everything the Bible says about money, you don't even want to read it because you really enjoy being really greedy dishonest. You, you enjoy thinking that your money belongs to you and you can spend it on yourself. You, you really don't want to know. And so that's why it's easier to say, yeah, whew, what translation are you reading? Yeah, I'm reading, I don't, I don't get, you know, I, 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 God just doesn't speak to me through it. Oh, he's talking. He's talking. You have to listen. Is, is the word well used? In your life. Because if the word of God is well used in your life, it is not going to lay there flat and lifeless on your coffee table. It's not just going to be an app on your phone you never open. It's living and active, two-edged sword. It burns, it shines bright. It does everything except go dead on your lips. One last thing. Um, Notice what Paul says, verse 17. He's talking about the false teaching. He says, this kind of talk spreads like cancer. Um, That's New Living Translation. The word that Paul uses there is just as good, and I'm not sure why New Living Translation goes with cancer. I get cancer. but, But the word he uses is gangrene. Like He uses the Greek word gangrene, which is in some ways even better. It's better than cancer. That sounds weird. Uh, no, gangrene is such an amazing illustration for what, for what false teaching does, what, what wrong beliefs do. Because gangrene is what happens when you have some sort of circulation issue in your body. Medical people, help me if I, if I, if I get stupid here. Um, like sometimes if, like if you have diabetes or some sort of circulation problem and the blood isn't getting down to your feet anymore, you can have gangrene set up in your toes or in your foot. What's that mean? It means the tissue literally starts to die, like it's dying. It's no longer being fed oxygen and nutrients from the blood, and so it begins to die. The thing about gangrene is if, if you allow it to persist, it will creep up the body. So that's why sometimes if you got gangrene, man, they will cut off your foot. They cut off your foot to save your life, to save your body, because that kind, of, that kind of ruin, that kind of rot cannot be allowed to exist in the body. It will destroy the whole body. So I kind of like when Paul says, you know, this kind of talk, this kind of false belief, this false teaching, it's like gangrene in the body of Christ. It's, it, it will destroy the life. It, it, it will ruin. It, it will bring to rot. It has to be cut off. It has to be rooted out. It will suck the life out of the whole body if it's allowed to continue. I mean, it's strong kind of language, but, but you need strong kind of language here because it really, really matters what you believe. It really matters what you believe. 
Because what you believe is going to shape the way you relate to Jesus, who is himself, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And the way you relate to Jesus will, will affect the way you live your life. It will affect the way you treat people and talk to people. Basically, when Jesus comes into your heart, into your life, he takes over, he is going to bring his heart full of love, and you will be a different kind of man, different kind of woman. Jesus will change the way you live, and because of that, it will change the way your life turns out. The way everything turns out for you will be different when you follow the light, the lamp that is his word. It will change the way you live. It will affect the way everything turns out for you, and it will determine where you spend your eternity. So you understand, it's not about your truth and my truth. It's, it's the Lord's truth. It's, it's the gospel truth. There may be some things that we can disagree on, some things we can get wrong. We have to be right when it comes to Jesus. You have to be right when it comes to your belief in Jesus. Everything, everything is at stake. Pray with me.